Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. It was definitely not easy initially. Between 2004 to 2007 was, was a very dark time. Even though I showed potential, I was incredibly inconsistent. And looking back after two and a half, three years, I was averaging in the mid-30s in both ODRs and test matches. And I mean, I was, I was crying in the shower at times, thinking I'm throwing my career away. Um, it all happened so fast and I wasn't really ready for it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we are all seriously in for a real treat. This guy is one of the true modern greats of world cricket, and all that I'll say to kick things off is that this guy plays the game of cricket and did across every format the way that every cricketer dreams of being able to play. The things that this man continues to do on the cricket field are absolutely outrageous. A.B. de Villiers, thank you so much for being on my show. Thanks, Wado. It's nice, nice talking to you. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got a bit of intro to go. So. Um, in AB's 114 test matches that he played, he scored 22 hundreds at an amazing average of 50.66. In his 228 one-day internationals, he scored 25 hundreds at a mind-blowing average of 53.5, which is hard to get your head around how this is actually possible. But then to go with it, he scored all of his runs at a strike rate of 101. So more than a run of ball throughout his whole career. <laughs> We've been incredibly lucky to have, have, have had Sir Vivian Richards on Lessons Learned with the Greats and to talk to him about how he pioneered batting in one-day cricket with the way he took on the game. But AB definitely took over his mantle and then added a little cherry on top. Not only was AB a phenomenal batsman in any situation across all three formats, but he was also a brilliant is also a brilliant all-round fielder as well as a great wicketkeeper. So I have so many questions that I want to ask today with all things, um, all the things that AB learnt along the way to become one of the modern-day greats. I was so incredibly fortunate to have had the chance to play with AB for two seasons at RCB in the IPL. Uh, and to be able to watch the way he goes about his business on, on and off the field was a, was a true privilege. And the one thing that everyone knows who knows AB is that he's a super fierce competitor on the field in a good way, <laughs> but off the field, look, Raul Dravid is the only guy to me who compares with how kind and generous and a sweet person that AB is. So, and everyone will understand exactly how that is today. It'll come across. Okay. Before we really dive in, there are two highlights for me that really stand out amongst so many incredible um, innings that you played throughout your international career. The first one is your outrageous 162 of 66 balls against the West Indies during the 2015 World Cup at the SCG. Such a big stage. How, how the hell did you do that? 
what a yeah, you're embarrassing me with that intro, but thanks so much. Um, some very kind words. Um, and I, I can say I certainly enjoyed my few years that I played with you as well in the RCB. Um, I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm going to this. I know you asked a question. I'll get you a question now. But um, <laughs> I, I think playing, playing against each other for South Africa and Australia for many years, um, it's, it's fantastic to finally sit in a place now where we're still competing, but um, we understand each other a bit better. Mm. And uh, we sort of have respect for each other's games and, and what we do on and off the field. So, first of all, thanks for for the for the time. Um, um, but thanks for asking me to have this interview with, with you. Um, that knock in Sydney at the SCG um, against the West Indies, I'll never forget. Uh, leading up to the to the game, um, we decided the day before the game not to practice. I called it off um, with the coach, um, just purely. Because of the magnitude of the, the event, I mean, it tends to get you and you sort of get into this mold of just training, playing, training, playing. And I wanted to, the guys to sort of just get out of that bubble a bit and sort of just touch base with who we are as people. Uh, we played a volleyball game in the gardens outside of the hotel the day before. And I think that was a, that was a really good move by the management, um, which I was a part of. Uh, and funny enough, that, that night at 3 a.m., just before the game, I woke up with, um, I, I felt incredibly sick. So I, I had the doctor wow. over. First of all, I couldn't sleep till about one o'clock. <laughs> and then I started feeling ill. <laughs> so I had the doctor over from three till five a.m. I literally, I don't think I slept more than an hour that night. Uh, my wife was there as well. Gosh. So I, I, I had doubts of playing that game. Um, I really, I, I had incredibly, uh, incredible bad stomach um, and, and some other um, symptoms as well. Anyway, long story short, went to the game. Uh, I got on my feet. I think I even I took all kinds of medicine and somehow told the doctor, listen, I'm just going to be there today. I'll even move myself down the order if I have to, but I, I have to just play this game. It's a crunch game. It's a must win for us. Um, long story short, ended up batting first. Um, I was literally sleeping on the couch <laughs> and when the guys told me, you've you got to go out and bat. And when I look back in my career, um, I've had a few moments like that where sort of the chips were down and I, I, maybe it's I felt ill or maybe I was half injured. Those are always the moments where I really felt the most comfortable at the wicket for some reason. I think it's also a mental thing where you just really, you just let go and, and you tell yourself, listen, I have nothing to lose here. And um, the rest was history. I, I saw the, I, I, I felt incredibly confident the first 50 runs. I, I saw the ball so well. And, um, Quite sooner um, than expected, I pulled, I pulled the trigger um, purely because I felt like, you know what, I'm seeing it so well. I've got an opportunity to, to put the windies to bed here um, without taking it too deep. And uh, everything came off. It's funny what you talk there about letting go, about really letting go because of the circumstances that are, were around you that said, you know what, I'm just, I, feel, I don't feel well. You know, what, I'm just going to take it on because I don't, can't really run that much as well because I'm cooked. Yeah. It's amazing how just in your own mind is really letting go is what things, the, the incredible things you actually can do. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I, I'm not always successful with that, but I'd say I, I sort of, I, I think you'll relate to it. Throughout your career, you, you find a way to, to do it more often. Mm. Um I think the greats of, I watched that last dance um, series two nights ago. Mm. Um, Michael Jordan had the ability to do that. Um, you, could, you could sense when you walked into the change room and when the cameras are following him, um, you can see he knows what he's, he's going out to do, but he's so relaxed and so in the moment and just listening to his music, making mm. jokes. 
And I think that's the kind of thing that I try and achieve more often than not. I only probably get it right about three or four, time, four times out of ten. Um, but when I do get it right, it's almost that guarantee in your mind, like, you know what, I'm going to have fun today no matter what. And mm. I'm most probably going to perform because I'm so relaxed. There was a lot of reasons that there were a lot of reasons that day for me not to be in that in that mode. Um, the, the sickness, my 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 mom was there. She flew through um, the night before. Um, it was a huge crowd. It was a must win for us. There were many reasons for me to just sort of cramp up a bit and, and tighten up. Um, but I think maybe that illness and the, the lack of sleep helped just to, for me to stay in the moment. I woke up from that crowd couch with my pads on. I couldn't remember where my helmet was. And it was just a moment of, you know what, I don't have to panic. I just, I'm just going to go play the game. And yeah, but it's sometimes the best thing that can, that can happen to you. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I go back to the, the best performance I've had in one day cricket. And it was all because it was in Bangladesh. We'd bowled first. We're batting second. It was super hot. I'm like, you know what? I can't really, I can't really run. I'm cooked. So all I did was just <laughs> teed them up. I was like, stuff it. I'm just going to take them down. If I get out of, well, you know what? I don't really care. And then it's amazing when you fully let yourself go to that extent, what's actually possible. But because you sort of grow up in an environment where you've all, you put some shackles on yourself, you sort of pull things back a little bit. It's like, oh, I can't really, I can't just like load up every ball. Like, what until I get out? <laughs> you start to have that, put those doubts in your mind, but there's situations that you just open up and then all of a sudden you just go, Imagine if I could do that. Every, imagine if I could bat with that freedom every time. <laughs> That's the ultimate thing that you're chasing. It's an incredibly fine line, though, Wado. It's, mm. it's so, such a fine line between doing that but also then going, but you don't really value your wickets, you know, because that's also mm. incredibly important to really feel like you care for what you do, but you have to free up. So it's a, it's a very difficult balance that I, that I, all, that, that I fought with my, my entire career, and I, mm. you'll know exactly what I mean. Um, sometimes to let go is the best thing, but it's very difficult to consistently repeat that. Um, yep. Just playing this uh, carefree kind of Chris Gale cricket, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll fail eight out of ten times um, mm. do, doing that. So I, it's so difficult to get that balance right. And to, I think the the most important thing is to be true to yourself and to understand what kind of mindset you are in mm-hmm. before you go out to bed. Sometimes you do need to kick yourself up the ass a bit and say, "Listen, wake up, you are." way too, too, too asleep yeah? yeah and sometimes vice versa is important we just got to tell yourself this and just let go and go play the game need the ball so you just got to be true to yourself exactly right and that's defining what the best version of you looks like in different situations and and when we talk about that as well there's a second highlight to me that really stands out and it is the op- this is the opposite to your world club cup blitz and that was your 33 of 220 balls against the aussies in adelaide in 2012 and this is to have the mental toughness and discipline to rein in your game to that extent, which saved the test match and ultimately won this, that series for South Africa, the test series for South Africa, is something that I'll never, ever forget. Because to be able to go from having that freedom that you play, you can play with, to be able to rein it in that much to defend and not, like you hardly, you really didn't play an attacking shot at all. Like, I, I don't know how that's possible because I can't do I'll get out. If I'm doing that, I'm getting out some way. <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't very enjoyable, I must admit. But um, I, I was very driven to to have an impact on on the results. I, I felt we were close to to turning things around. And um, you know, sport. It's an incredible game of the game of cricket. It's an incredible sport. It's um, if you hang out. I mean, if things don't go your way and you hang out there long enough, it, it turns around in no time. And it happens with all sports like that. So mm. I, play, I play a lot of golf. I play tennis back in the day. 
um, you just got to sort of push that barrier as far as you can and, and you'll be amazed how things turn around. And I, I literally, I was very disciplined that innings. I made a conscious decision that I, I'm not even going to run. I, I don't care what happens here. I'm just out here to stay as long as I can for the boys. And ultimately setting up for, for helping him set up mm. um, his first hundred and, um, and him finishing off that game with a draw. And then we went to Perth and won that next test. Um, it was it was a very rewarding innings. Um, I must say, I sat. I was I was quite irritated to myself getting out there. I think I I got a little bit lazy. That's the, that was the trick um, with that innings. Uh, I, I was I wasn't intending to score any runs, but my intensity still had to be high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went into a little patch of two or three overs where my intensity dropped a little bit, and and Peter still snuck one through bad pad. Came a little bit off the wicket, but if my intensity was good, I probably would have got some bad on it. Mm-hmm. So. I'd, if I had to be hard on myself, I'd say I, I lost my intensity, intensity a touch, but um, very chuffed with the, with the effort and the fact that we saved that test. Yeah, and what you said there, the the difference between having still having in, like intensity, that intensity of your movements, but then defending, and that's the thing that people like out there have to also understand is that just because you're really intense, that doesn't mean that you're blazing away and you're, you're hitting every ball for six. It's you have that real intent, but then you are defending as well. And that's what you just did inc- so incredibly well. Like not many people have the ability to be able to do that and to be able to find that balance. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't. My, if I, if my, if my, if I was going out and just defending, then my intensity was too low, and I'd, I'd, I'd get out. I'd miss a drive. I'd nick a drive, or be back off the ball and get bowled or LB. Yeah, I, I, I might give away one of my biggest batting secrets now, but <laughs> it's something I learned. It's something I learned from you, Aussie guys. Um, is it's the way you almost, and I, I spoke to Josh Butler the other day and I told him this, it's the way you almost um, act out your your scene in your movie when you're batting. That's the way it must be almost. So um, Steve Smith, with these little extra things that he that he does at the wicket, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily to irritate the opposition. It's it's really putting himself in that mindset of, I'm here to to play out the lead actor of, of this movie. Um, some guys will call loud, wet on, no, yeah. And it's, it's irritating to opposition, mm. but it's really like turning the intensity up. And when I, I found that when I, when I did that throughout my career, I was, I was invincible at times. I, I think of the very last test series I played against the Aussies, um, the Warner really um, sort of getting the fire in the belly going after that first test match in Durban. And from the rest of the series onwards, my intensity was like at a thousand percent because of that, probably. Um, but that really mm-hmm. sort of spurred me on. My my calling was loud, and my chest was out. My body language, I was making eye contact with everyone without talking. I just really, I, I just know when I do that, everything happens slower. Pat Cummins feels mm-hmm. like he's bowling one thirty-five, not one fifty. So those little things really help. Um, and, and you're seeing the ball um, out of the bowler's hand better. Everything just happens better and easier. And um, so that's the biggest secret for me when I'm batting is really just to just act it out, you know, fake, fake it that you're playing in a big movie. You're the gladiator. And um, I mean, you got to put it on the line. You might lose sometimes, but more often than not, you're going to do incredible things and, and uh, you'll reach some amazing heights. How did you know that that worked? Was it just that one, was it that one series that re- it, like that really clicked or you just knew over your career that that was, if you locked into that, that, headspace and being that lead role in your in that movie in your movie that that was when you were like invincible it happened consistently throughout my career um the the difficult part was doing that every time and sort of getting myself up for it every time um Mm. and i i I can really relate to watching other documentaries of sports people um going through the same kind of thing uh 
it's it's almost it's almost impossible to do it every time. So yeah. let's not kid ourselves. I think that's possibly what makes Virat Kohli one of the best players ever. No he question. He seems like he's playing his final game every time he, he bats. And if I could do that more consistently, I would be more consistent in my performances. I know that for a fact. Um, but it's so difficult to really tell yourself, especially in a long tournament like this in the IPL, 16 games every single time to get those juices flowing. It's really difficult. But that's the that's the great opportunity we have as sports people to try and just repeat that mindset, no matter what the, the, the result will be, just to repeat what you do as a player and what makes the best or brings out the best in you. Um, another documentary I watched is Annie Murray's uh, of Resurfacing. Oh, it's yeah, on, okay. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't watched that. It's on okay. Amazon Prime now. And, yeah. and exactly the same thing. It's, it's about those juices flowing and how much do you really want it? But can you repeat it time and time again? Mm. I think of Djokovic and all the, the greats. Uh, that's what really make, make them the best players in the world. And that's the thing that stood out to me the most in the last dance was Michael Jordan, his ability every single game for a long NBA season and then for a long career to better have that intensity like it's his last game every single game. And that's as soon as I watched, saw that, I was like, well, that's exactly how Virat is. That's a reason why he is so good because he is like playing. It's like his last game every single game, no matter what. And for me, I think that's superhuman because no matter how much I try and do it and you try and chase it all the time, I didn't think that was possible. Not for me. <laughs> that, was, that was probably the hardest thing throughout my career. I, 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 I got to a place where I felt like I could really play. And, mm. and then immediately I felt that shadow of like of, yeah, but how long can I do this for? <laughs> um, and that's why I have so much respect for some of the greats who do it day in and day out. And I think of a Djokovic, I think of some of the best golfers in the world who just continuously do that. And I, I think to myself, how did I find the strength to continuously do that? And then, I mean, I, I shouldn't be too hard on myself. I did it for a while, but I, I think the really tough part is to, uh, to sort of allow the outside music and your family life and the balance of other stuff not to interfere too much. And unfortunately, um, once you get married and the kids come along, things change and cricket is not the most important thing anymore. Um, I think Michael Jordan felt that maybe in those years when he started playing baseball, his father passed away a lot of outside noise came into his basketball and that's, that's probably why he sort of he slipped out for a few years and then um, he found that urge again and came back just as the great that he is. Yeah, what an amazing documentary that was. Gosh, you can watch uh, it. I'll be watching it over and over again in our, <laughs> in our bubble that we've got here during the IPL. <laughs> um, okay, AB, you've had so many phenomenal highlights throughout your career. Is there one that really stands out to you the most? Um, that's difficult to say. Uh, I even though we lost in the World Cup 2015 in that semi-finals, mm. um, just the fact that we arrived that day as a batting unit, losing the toss, batting first in front of a crowd that I've never experienced in my life before. <laughs> I mean, they were all over us. Um, just just arriving um, was, a, was a very proud moment in my career and personally for my batting as well. Um, really feeling the heat when I came into bat. We were under a bit of pressure. We were only going at four and over on the ground. We should be going at six plus. Um, sort of turning it around and showing that I'm capable of handling those kind of situations at the biggest stage as the captain of the team. And that was probably one of my proudest moments. I, we, we didn't win the game. It would have been nice to to meet the Aussies in the final. No, it wouldn't have been time. for us. It wouldn't have been for us. <laughs> you guys matched up that well to us. <laughs> it would have been a good game. A yeah. better game than against the Zealand, I think, with all due respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was, that was a proud moment. And I mean, it's... I remembered it the best because that was a big part of the reason why I started feeling that um, 
you know what? Uh, I mean, I, I got I got a little boy that year as well, and I, I started drifting away from what I what I wanted to do, the, what, what I used to do best, and that's just to score runs for the team. But I, I mean, a lot of confusion came in after that. Um, where did I want to edge with my career? At least I did come back and play played a few more games internationally, mm. um, but things were never the same again after that. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. There was a one such a huge tournament, such a big event you being captain as well and for you to be able to play like you did during that world cup, not just in that semi-final, but during that world cup is it's what, you know, it's what everyone dreams of doing. Uh, thanks, brother. Okay. I'm going to go into the, the technical side of cricket. We've talked quite a lot about mental, well, a lot about the mental skills already, but um, from a batting perspective, from a technical component, um, was there one thing that really stood out to you that you developed? And from that moment on, you knew if you bought that every time, you're going to be give yourself a great chance of having a great day. Yes, that's a good question. A, a lot of people have, have labelled me as as a very talented player, and things come naturally to me. And, and not a lot of people know that I've been through a lot of technical difficulty mm-hmm. um, early on in my career. Um, I I clearly remember playing a test series against Pakistan at home, Muhammad Asif nipping the ball over the place, and it literally crept into my mind, but also really had, had me doubting myself about my technique. Um, I I had Sean Pollock sort of doing my batting coaching at the time. He was he was giving me underarmers and telling me left hand only, now right hand only, trying to get my bat blade on the path. So I was, and that was the day before a test match in Cape Town. <laughs> um, as an opening batsman, that's not the that's not really the place you want to be in. So I, I went through quite a quite a bit um, where my bat left would go behind my back. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be on the straight line. My bat would be sort of angled coming through. I was very early on all deliveries, um, but that was always a trade of mine. Um, uh, I sort of tried to meet the ball early, but I, I mean, I nicked off a lot because I was pushing out it too hard and too early. Um, uh, I got out caught in the covers a few times, just jabbing it to the covers. I mean, I was averaging 30 in ODI, so after 30, 30 ODI games. Um, my test match average the first year was 50, but it dropped down to 34, I think, um, mm-hmm. in no time. Yeah. So I was literally from from all the formats. Um, the coach had me on my final game. You know, we had that little discussion. We tell me, "Listen, Abe, I'm sorry. I've I've had your back for quite some time now, but this is possibly your last game." <laughs> and somehow I managed always to come through with a little fifty at the right time, just sort of buying myself another game. And yeah. um, Smith always had my back, and he wanted me in the side. He saw potential. But it was definitely not easy initially. 2004 to 2007 was, was a very dark time. Even though I showed potential, mm-hmm. I was incredibly inconsistent. And looking back, after two and a half, three years, I was averaging in the mid-30s in both ODRs and test matches. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was crying in the shower at times, thinking I'm throwing my career away. Um, it all happened so fast, and I wasn't really mm-hmm. ready for it. So that's, that's the honest truth of what I went through. And then in 2008 was the breakthrough year where... I was playing a test match in India and for the first time I felt like I was allowing the ball to to come into my space without pushing at it. Um, my defensive game uh, fell in place. I worked with Jack Callis quite a bit, um, not really uh, changing my whole game plan and technique, but just sort of being as a, you know, it was just there. Um, a guy who was always quiet, all of a sudden reached out to me and said, listen, you can play, just just find a way, you know, um, mm-hmm. allow the ball to come to you, move early, head stall, Tiny little basics that won't necessarily change your world, but in that specific year, I just broke through completely in 2008, and I knew 
Um, I mean, you're never guaranteed of runs, but I knew I, I've arrived in this team and I'm, I'm here to stay. I'm, I'm going to score some runs. So I was very motivated. I had an incredible manager at the time. We met in that year, um, Ed Griffiths, who gave me the challenge of averaging 14 ODIs and test matches by the end of 2008, which I achieved. And I mean, the rest is history. We, we adjusted um, the average targets every year, 42, 44, 45, and I just kept kept breaking it every single season. So, I mean, that, that was that was the difference, really getting my defensive game in place. Okay, there's two things that, that I want to uh, dig into more there. Okay, first of all is from the technical side of things. So, there's a couple of components that you talked about there. One is just hitting the ball under your eyes, your contact point. And it's something that actually quite a few people on um, on the show so far has have talked about your contact point, hitting the ball under your eyes. So for you, was that really watching the ball really closely so you were hitting the ball under your eyes? Yes, definitely. Um, the the more important thing was really seeing, seeing the ball as it's been delivered. Mm. If, if, I, if I miss that little split second, um, I'm always rushed and I sort of display an instinct and like really yeah. jab at it quite hard. It comes off from time to time, but it's, it's inconsistent and you, you'll nick off, especially in test matches, you're going to find yourself nicking off all the time. So it's a matter of really seeing it and then making a conscious decision that for two or three meters, I'm just going to allow the ball to fly through the air without deciding anything. That's the tough part. When a guy's bowling 150, <laughs> go try and do that. Um, yeah. You've got to be in good form to, to allow the ball to fly first. Um, but yeah. if you do that, you'll be amazed how much time you actually create. Yeah. Um, with, and I guess it's all the information that, that runs through your brain. Um, the messaging is, is accurate to the, to the muscles. And you can see the ball uh, much better. And then only, I think, you can be in a position to really allow it to play under your eyes. And, I mean, you get in incredible positions. I've, I've played a couple of knocks like that where I've allowed guys like um, Mitchell Johnson. Um, I think of Shab Akhtar being in good form when I faced him towards the end of his career, but still bowling 150. Um, Sean Tate, um, only a couple of times here and there, really sort of allowing the ball to come off the wicket before I react. Um and then just being amazed how much time I had, like just punching it wherever I wanted to. Um, that's when you know you, you're seeing it well and you're in good form. Yeah, and what you said there as well is one like so you had a pre you have got a pre movement to the to the quicks, and that's just your pre movement making sure it's done early. So then, as the ball's bowled, your head is really still. So then you can have the best view on the ball to be able to then react to the best of your ability? I, I think it gives you the best opportunity to maybe, or certainly for me, but I, I wouldn't say that's that's the way forward. I think it's different for every guy. Um, mm. uh, if you had to do a Chandapal thing or stand still or be like a Kohli, whatever trigger works for you, whatever mm. allows you to see the ball out of the hand yeah. and gives you the, the guts, because that's exactly what it is, the guts to allow the ball just to come without yeah. deciding I'm going to drive or I'm going to do this or that. Um, Whatever gets you in that kind of position, you should do. Um, for me, it's not about timing. It's not about moving late or early. I, I try and mm. more often than not, I'll try and go rather too early than too late. Yep. Um, and being dead still, but I'm, if I get that information out of the hand, uh, that's that's when when the business is real. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, and the other thing that you talked about was goal setting and how incredibly powerful goal setting is. And you know, I actually wish that I did. I did it. I didn't do much of goal setting at all, but it's not until you actually really put put a line in the sand of what you're trying to achieve is what you know what you're aiming for. 
you got something named for. So that was something that your, your, um, your manager that came in was something that really challenged you with goal setting. It's a very interesting thing. And I picked it up. And once again, that Michael Jordan, um, Bulls, uh, documentary is it's not only goal setting and I'll add, I'll add something to it. That's, it's quite unique. And, and once again, a gutsy thing to do, but to, to, to really put yourself on the line when you do that, um, not only to say it in your bed when you're sleeping at night, oh, when I average 40, but to actually make it public or share it with your teammates. Um, I, I did a silly thing, which is probably the most powerful thing I've ever done. Um, I think it was in 2009, 10 maybe. Um, I had an interview with a journalist and I, it was completely by accident, but he asked me what I want to achieve with this thing. Where am I going with my cricket? So I said, I want to be the best in the world. I, I want to be ranked the best player. And I mean, it was headlines all over. De Villiers thinks he can be the best. I was under a lot of pressure, but without me knowing at the time, and I was very furious that it came out that way or came across that way. But I, unconsciously, I had, this, I had this goal and I had this point to prove. And um, so from then on, with all little goals that I set myself, I, I try to share it with, my, with people and sort of put myself under pressure with it. Um, something Andy Murray just did now with his documentary. It's unfinished business, but he set this huge goal. I, I won't be surprised if we see him in a year or two's time with his hip replacement and everything, um, really competing with Djokovic and the boys and maybe even getting that number one title again. Um, so that's that is incredible, powerful, incredibly powerful, powerful thing to do. I think is to really just put your body and your and your mind on the line, um, and not just make a goal and write it down. That's it. That can also work, but really share it with your mom and or dad or with your captain in the team or with your, with your coach. And if you have guts enough, maybe in, even a reporter. Because <laughs> what that does do, though, it's a, it puts you on the edge every time you go to train, that you go out to the middle. It's like, I've got to live up to what I've actually said. So, you know, it doesn't, it means that you don't really, like, you don't take a, you don't have a day where you go, yeah, you know what, Ugh, I'm okay. It actually puts you every time you go and do something that you, you've challenged yourself and everyone knows about it or a lot of people know about it that you're not, I've, I've got to, I've got to live up to that because I've put myself out there. It's powerful. And there's the trick. You just, you just got to be prepared to, to deal with the embarrassment if you don't, mm. if you don't succeed and then have the mindset to go again, um, no yeah. matter what, no matter what the outcome, you're probably going to fail here and there. That's the nature of sport. Um, but to be man enough to stand up and go, you know what? Fair enough, guys. I, I know I made a statement. I take it on the chin, but watch me come back from this one. <laughs> and you go again. You start yeah. from scratch again. If you if you want to, you make another statement and you go at it again. Um, it, it's, I think it's uh, it really brings out the best, in, as you said, in training situations. And more often than not, and you'll have that more consistent great intensity at the wicket when you're playing. That's maybe the secret of really getting the juices flowing when you go out and play. Exactly. It's something that Glenn McGrath did throughout his whole career. And I always thought, because I didn't know the reason why he's doing it. I didn't even know if he knows the reason why he's doing it to that detail. But I was like, geez, that's arrogant. But <laughs> he did it. He did it because obviously he was, he was challenging himself to know that I've put it out in the line there. Like, oh. I'm going to look stupid if we don't. And just yeah. about every time, just about every time he achieved what he said. So it's a, as you it's said, a, it's, it's, it's a, a, it's a, powerful. it's a, yeah, very powerful. And it's a, it's a fine line. You've got to be willing to be able to, um, you know, be, have some humility if it doesn't work out, but gosh, it's a way to be able to really push the energy and intensity every time you go and train and play. Exactly. You're going to train yourself for the, for the failure part of it because it will mm. happen. Um, yeah. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm alluding to this Jordan documentary all the time, but I, I just 
thought back to some of the episodes now, but he he didn't win all the time. And the times he lost, he, he was very proud of the fact that he went on and shook people's hands and looked them in the eye, facing defeat. Mm. And he would immediately make jokes in the change room after defeat and like make everyone feel comfortable again. And the next day, he would make this huge statement again, we're coming for you guys, I'm going to score 50 points, whatever the case may be. And I would think to myself, geez, you just got hurt so badly and you put yourself out there again. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's, that's very, a very powerful tool. I don't know exactly what the right answer for that is, but I, all yeah. I do know is if you, if you put yourself out there like that, you really challenge yourself to be the best version of yourself and it's, it more often yeah. than not comes through. Yeah, exactly right. Um, AB, you are a great player of spin bowling as well. Um, what are the couple of – is there a technical key or a couple of technical keys that you lock in and you know that if I'm in this position, technically I'm going to be able to react to the best of my ability? I wasn't always like that. So I, I certainly didn't grow up playing a lot of spin or facing spin. Hmm. We did have a backyard game with my two older brothers that maybe sort of uh, gave me the ability to survive in tough conditions. We had this really – difficult spin game directly against anything was out one off one end you know all the little backyard rules mm-hmm. it's probably like a six by six meter courtyard kind of thing and it was spinning all over the place I had to play a little laps and I'm talking about when I was like eight nine years old you're right little reverse laps just to survive so <laughs> maybe mentally at the time I sort of challenged myself already to survive against spin and something that I'm not um, accustomed to or definitely not in South African conditions mm-hmm. Um, and then I, th- I think the key to that was just listening to guys like Ellis, um, Smith, Vouchers uh, throughout my career talking about batting and how we're going to get through these in- this Indian attack with the spinners and Abhijan this and Ajmal for Pakistan and all the Amir Leatherin for Sri Lanka. I was listening to all the theories and really just taking what I could get at the time and try I tried to apply it, apply it in, the, in the nets. And then um, as, as uncomfortable as it felt, I always, I've always wanted to be the guy to to break shackles in games and to show mm-hmm. guys that, you know what, New Leather is not as good as everyone thinks he is. I can handle him, you know. So it was just a deep desire and hunger to, to achieve success. But I would say positions-wise, um, once again, playing it late, having that bad angle down, um, not getting too big a stride in always worked for me but okay. really getting it out there in front of the pattern I'm talking about surviving in test matches now yeah. when Saad Ajmal and, and Murali <laughs> are bowling to you mm. um, <clears throat> that, that was really important to me to get the bat out there but keep that 45 degree angle on the bat um, talk, talking IPL and, and, and facing spin once again I, I think it's not so much about movement it's really just about playing it nice and late and understanding your strengths and weaknesses. I, I'm not going to mention my weaknesses now because but it's important for me to stay ahead of the spinners. Um, I mean, if, if you allow them to bowl, they've got so much skill these days. I think of Yuji Chahal, Kuldeep Yadav, um, all the great spinners in the Ryan out there. If you allow them to bowl, they're going to show all their skills and I don't want them to show it while I'm in defensive mode. I want them to show it when they're under pressure because um, then they don't execute as well. Um, so it's all a, it's, a, it's a big mind game, but the, the positions stay the same. I, I try and play it nice and late. Um, I try and make him think what I'm going to do next. And um, you've got to capitalize on bad deliveries. One thing that I see with your, I've seen with your play against spin is how, like, at times how low that you get in your stance or in your power position as the ball's bowled. So then you can power up through the ball like a shot, like a back foot, um, like back foot drive over cover for six. Like not many people can do that because normally they're a bit too high. Um, but for you, you do get low. So then you can actually, if you see the ball, you can power up through the ball. 
more than more than other people do. Yeah, the the reason why why I actually do that is I, I feel I'm forced to play it later when I do that. When I'm mm. upright, I can't feel when I'm early and when I'm not. When I'm low, I re- I can I could get a sense like hold on you you early on this one just you know just um, let it come on your blade and take your one and, and next next ball I'll I'll make sure I wait a bit longer. I, I, mm. I feel I get a sense of the the length of the delivery better. And um, as you said, uh, you're in a power position, you, it can go, only get stronger from there on in. Uh, I've, I've always felt comfortable like that. <clears throat> I'm definitely lower than what I am against him. Um, yeah. But uh, there's, there's good reason for that. As I said, it, I, I can really pick up uh, and I feel very mobile on my feet. So mm. there's, there's another reason for it. It's a, yeah, it's something that everyone can learn learn from because definitely being in a lower power position means you can get up through your power up through the board. You're harnessing the power that's in your legs and your body, not just a lot of people try and have hit the ball hard or hit the ball a long way by just using their hands and their arms. You need to be able to use your whole body by and what you do there. That low power power position means you can actually power up through the ball. And you've taught me a lot with that, <laughs> watching that. Uh, I, I, I must be honest, it's not something I um, consciously think of all the time, but I, I know yeah. that the lower I am against spin, uh, the later I play it. And I can feel, I get more of a sense in my hands when I'm a bit early. But similar to golf, as you mentioned, you you, you get players who only play with their hands and their arms and you make the, you make the game really tough. You've got to use... All, all big muscles in your body um, as much as you can. <clears throat> um, and it, it's the same with cricket as well. Um, if you're in that low position, you keep your head nice and down and still, and you sort of delay um, delay the power for as long as possible. It's so mm. easy to get out of it from there on, in, in, from the powerful position that you're in. So I think that's the most important thing, to just to really stick to that position as long as you can. Just one thing that some people might not know about about you is and one thing that I found fascinating in your preparation was you get in the throwdowns that you get in the lead up to a game you do those throwdowns for a little bit but then you get a stump you pull a stump out and then you start having throwdowns with a stump when did you when did you start doing that and exactly exactly why well I know why but I'd love you to tell everyone why you do that yeah, so there, there are quite a few reasons. And the other thing that I want to touch on first is that I don't always do it. <laughs> I, and that's the beautiful part of this game is it's nothing ever stays the same. Mm. And I've learned early on in my career to acknowledge that and to embrace it. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to stay the same player. So a lot of things change from 2004 to 2020, the way I prepare, the way I play the game, the pace of my innings, the shots that I play. Everything changes all the time. And I've never been scared of change. So... I might rock up in this IPL and feel like, you know what, it's time for a different drill or um, I need to eat more balls maybe or less or whatever the case may be. I really trust my instincts with that, with what I feel at the time. Um, and I, I mean, the stump is, is something that I, specifically in test match cricket, I absolutely love doing it for ages. Um, and, and also the standstill drill, you know, I do quite a bit of that as well. So the stump drill for me is just to, it, it sort of emphasizes everything. It, it puts everything out there in detail. <laughs> um, if you play a bad shot, it, it becomes a really bad shot. Um, it forces you to play it late once again. It really forces you to get into the best possible positions that you can get. Um, and the confidence that I get from that when I hit balls well with a stump, I mean, it's I go out in the middle and it feels like I'm playing uh, guys bowling underarm to me. So I, that, that, that's that's the, the thinking behind it. It's something that I learned from Martin van Jarsveld actually in my first, very first season um, at the Titans in first-class cricket. Uh, he, he had a little milling bat and then he said, 
I bet you can't hit it with a stump. I mean, and I picked up a stump and I started started hitting it. And his reaction was one of this guy can play. And I, I actually I really enjoyed um, the reaction I got from him that day. And I got a lot of confidence from it. And that's part of the reason why I do it. I get confidence when I'm hitting it well with a stump. I get confidence in my technique and that I'm getting in the right positions. But um, the most important thing is to play it late because everything gets exaggerated. If, you, if you're a little bit early in the shot, it's not going to come out of the middle of the stump. So um, it, it really just gets me in good positions. Yeah, and you also talked about the no-feet drill. What is a, what For you, what is the thing that you really get out of that no-feet drill? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's quite a bit. Uh, obviously, you play it late. Your head's got to be upright. Um, I love hitting it into the ground as hard as I can. That forces my hips to open up as I hit the ball, which creates a lot of power. I just feel that I really exercise all the right muscles to really hit the ball hard in the game. So if, if I get that little explosiveness right of opening up my hips at the right time, because that's, that's what you have to do with a standstill drill to create any power. You've got to open up your hips as you hit the shot but you still got to eat it late. So mm. um, that, that's the main thing, I think, um, just to really, once again, the back to the basics, to see the ball, allow it to come into my space. And it's so easy to do when you're standing still. I think of the way Viru Sawak always played. He, he literally just stood still and he allowed the ball to get into his space. And he just opening up his hands and toying with the birders until they decided to start following him a bit. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, yeah well, that's, that's what I get out of it standing still. It's, it's those things, seeing it out of the hand, playing it late, and really training my muscles to, especially my hips, to open up as I hit the ball, but still doing it late. So it's a really good role. Absolutely. So when you, when, just for the people out there, when it's a standing, like no feet drill, you're just in your stance or you're in position like a front foot position? No, I'm just in my stance. Uh, I, I, I don't get full. I, 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 that's, a, that's another drill where I stand still and I literally just do one step into the ball. Mm. Um, but I, I, I try and be shoulder width apart with my feet, um, mm. the front foot a little bit open, and I'm not allowed to move an inch with my feet mm. from there on. That's it. Um, and I just, just allow the ball to come into my space and – um, sometimes the throw will apologize for balls that go skew and sorry about one down leg, but I love it when that happens because it really tests your head position so much when, when balls are a little bit offline, especially with that drill. Um, you got to play it incredibly late if it's when it's outside off. You can't just go and push at it because you will get exposed. So from various angles, it's a great drill to do. So one thing by um, playing with um, Jacques Cullis during the um, one season I played with him at the Sydney Thunder, which was just one of the highlights of my career to be able to play with him. Um, yeah. Just the the couple of drills, because I was going through a bit of a, a time um, technically and a couple of drills that he talked to me about. One was that no feet drill and just about um, hitting the ball under your eyes really and your head being your head being the most important thing, not your feet. Because growing up in Australia, it's all about getting a big stride in or getting a big stride back and everything like that. Whereas it seems like with the coaching philosophy that Jacques um, had, but also, and then he, um, you know, relayed that around South African cricket was, it was all about your head and your head was the, the head was the guide to moving back or moving forward and your contact point. So as soon as I started to think about, as soon as I started working on that, gosh, that shifted things in a big way because my feet started getting out of the way and, your, your head's the thing that gets momentum, the right momentum, the right time to be at the timing and the power through the ball as well. Yeah, the difficult part of that is it, it, it emphasises the importance of, of playing at late, mm. being the, the head really being still, where sometimes if you get a big stride and you get away with a couple of things. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that 
the Jacques Keller's way that you just explained is the, is the way forward. Um, naturally, you're going to find yourself getting a stride in from time to time, really hopping back from time to time. But if you have those little basics in place of playing it late, your head really being still, seeing the ball out of the bowler's hands and allowing it to come across the wicket before you, you react, um, the rest will happen. Um, more often than not, you're probably not going to get a stride in because you don't need to. And to create power, you just, you just wait for it and play it nice and late and um, open up those hips at the right time. But um, you'll get your stride in when you need it. Um, it'll naturally happen, especially at the top level as a professional having faced millions of balls. Um, you know when to get a stride in and when not, um, as long as those basics are in place that you alluded to just now. Yeah, so it's incredibly powerful and very, very simple um, for, for people to really understand. AB, from a fitness perspective, you were always super fit. Uh, you're running between wickets, then to be able to back up in the field or is it um, with your keeping. So what did your um, fitness regime look like throughout throughout your whole career so far? Um, I, I would say my fitness regime starts with me being honest with myself. Where am I at? Um, how much have I played? Um, I, I, I could never, I've never been a guy to live with myself in the room knowing that I'm under-trained or that I've not performed well. So I will, I will be honest. Um, when I need a day off, I'll take a day off and I won't go train for the sake of training. Um, so I think that's, that's the very first rule is understanding what works for you, where's your body at, um, what do you need to do to be the best version of yourself again. Um, my, my fitness drills have changed incredibly over the years once again. Um, I'm probably in a space now where I'm working harder than ever, um, especially with the lockdown. I've, I found myself in the gym almost every day really just because I felt like I, I needed to. I mean, the IPL is coming at some stage and I need to be ready. And I, I can't be lagging behind with the, the rest of the guys. So, um, But it's, it's, uh, it's not so much the rest of the guys. It's, it's being honest with yourself. And I think that's the, that's the important thing. I can go through drills for hours with you now, but um, that's not the point. The point is yeah. uh, just being honest with yourself. If you, need a, if you need a couple of cardio sessions, get it out of the way. If you need to work on your core because you have a weak back like myself, you've got to get it done. It's as simple yeah. as that. So I've always been honest with that with myself. Uh, I've worked hard when I needed to and I've taken my breaks when I needed it. So there you go. <laughs> with your fitness, was it more cricket specific throughout your whole career or was it more like just generic sort of going for long runs or um, you know, just going to the gym and lifting sort of you know, generic sort of weights? Or was it more cricket specific, like you've said, like things are now, you've got, you know, with your um, looking after your back, you're doing more core work. So it is really a lot more specific to exactly what you need. It was never cr cricket specific. I, I always made it cricket specific for myself. Um, if I had to, it, the back in the day, it always used to be you do 10 kilometer run, you lift as heavy weights as you can <laughs> and that you do almost no core work. You do some sit-ups and you're out of there. Um, but I would always challenge myself with a 10K run. I would say, listen, there's a certain time. I would imagine that I'm playing a long inning. So I learned that from a guy called Grant Morgan. You, you probably never heard of him. He was a wicketkeeper back home, old guy. He coached me when I was under 19. Um, and he taught me that, that you always, no matter what you do, you find a challenge for yourself. For yourself. Because if, you, if you're out there, under the pump, you're going to need that mental toughness to, to get through that battle. Uh, so I've never forgotten that. That's probably about 25 years back that I learned that. Where am I now? That's a bit less than that. Let's say 18, 19 years back. Yeah. Um, so I, I always challenge myself. Obviously, it's become a lot more cricket-specific, the, the fitness drills these days. I do a lot more sprints on the, on the treadmill um, that is specific to what I do in the outfield or between the wickets. 
Um, I do a lot more core work because I know how important it is to my back. I can immediately feel when I haven't done it for a week. I, I immediately get a stiff back. So, um, And the weights, I've gone a lot lighter weights but more reps. Um, once again, I love to get my heart pumping when I'm doing weights, um, a lot of body work, body um, weight exercises, and, and just really being lean and as fast and agile as I possibly can be, but also strong at the same time. So it's a, it's a nice balance, but it's a lot more cricket-specific these days. Yeah, that's what fitness is all about, is making sure your body's used to doing what you need it to do <laughs> to get the best out of your skills that you've got. Okay, I'm going to move into media. Um, the media can provide a lot of different challenges. From what you know now, would you have approached approached the media in a in a different way? There's, there's quite a few things that I regret throughout my career with the media. Um, I, I, I certainly reacted way too much to to criticism, um, especially towards the, the latter stages of my career. I always felt that being the captain, I I really always wear my heart on my sleeve, and I would give the media everything I could. And when they kept niggling, I would I would take it personally. Um, it's hard not to. <laughs> it's it's hard not to. I know. I always felt that the media would have enough respect for someone who really gives them honesty to to let him go. Because I mean, he's the captain of the team. We want him to do well, surely. <laughs> but that's not always the case. Um, uh, the media have this uh, uh, habit of trying to get someone up and then to to knock him down. They always. I don't know if it sells papers or what, but maybe they find pleasure yeah, out of it. it. But um, yeah. one, once again, watching this couple of docu-series um, it really helped me a lot, uh, especially the Chicago Bulls one and the, the media that they dealt uh, had to deal with all the time. Mm. The media on Jordan's uh, situation when his father passed away, mm. how they almost, I mean, it was crazy. And, and that just sums it up that... You give them what you, you feel you need to give them, and that's what I've learned. And, I mean, from there on, you're always going to get negative criticism and negative comments and people wanting to fire you up, and that's where you you got to just sit back and, and let it be. So I've handled it a lot better over the last while. I've got a lot of bad press back home, and most people probably won't know that um, because of a lot of things. Uh, we have a big racial history in South Africa, um, the whole BLM thing, I got slated for really? for standing for it with my mates. <laughs> um, it's a long story, but um, mm. it's been a terrible time in the media. And I mean, I, I, I just feel a lot more comfortable dealing with them these days that, than when I, I went through the 2015 patch with the World Cup that we lost and all the racial um, comments from the media at the time. And uh, I mean, th- we've been through quite a bit with, um, mm. with regards to our history in South Africa. Mm. Um, I think if I had the experience that I have now, I would have, I would have handled it a lot better, but it's difficult to say because at the time I was in the mix, I was in the heat, I was captain. Um, all I wanted to do was win games and I fa- found it really difficult to deal with all this nonsense um, at the same time. What could you have potentially, what were you have, maybe done differently at that time. Cause I know personally, the only way that I could actually deal with the scrutiny was not read it because I was too affected by when there was articles, which were pretty consistently at times people having to go, go at me about, you know, various things. Um, but the only way that I actually personally could shut it out was just to not read it because if I wasn't reading it, then it wasn't really affecting me yet. It had come around in a way from my family and that would, it would sort of get to me. But if I didn't know it was out there, it wasn't going to affect me. I've, see, I've, I've had the great privilege to, to start, to have started under Boucher and Smith Callis. Mm. There was a specific tour in the West Indies in 2005, I think, where I was the youngster and I would literally just sit in a combi on the way back to the hotel and, 
watch Belcher and Smith and then react to all tweets and like, look at this idiot. I can't believe he just said that. And I learned so much there that I, I never commented on anyone and I, I never took the debate until I became captain. Um, you can't hide from it. That's the problem. When you're captain of South Africa or of any international team, mm. it's constantly in your face. Even if you don't read it, the minute you arrive in the press, the press lady or the, our liaison officer would tell us, listen, just to let you know, there's a little thing, you might not know about it, but they're going to ask you about it. And I'm like, oh my word, I thought I wasn't going to catch it. But anyway, so as captain, you catch it all the time. You, you know of everything that's going on. In fact, I would say, if you read everything, you're in a better position of giving, giving good answers. That's possibly what I did badly as captain. I, I, I really just, I was a closed book to all newspapers, all magazines. I had no idea what was going on. And I didn't want to know. All I wanted to do was win games. But it got shoved in my face every single press conference I went into, um, from racial issues to performance to literally everything, my personal life. And um, I probably wasn't as prepared as I should have been for that because I didn't read it. Um, now that I'm not captain anymore, I'm a lot more, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I can just go, whatever. My mates yeah. will call me sometimes like, are you doing okay? And I, I wouldn't know what he's talking about. Um, yeah. So... So that's nice. I'm, I'm out of that, that, that spotlight again with regards to captaincy and having to go to press conference all the time. Um, so I, I won't say I regret uh, that stage of my life, but I mean, I was captain. I, I had to deal with it. It's just one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you deal with it as well as you possibly can. And what you said there, like I'd never experienced being the captain of an international team consistently and knowing that you have to be across everything that's going on really. So you have to read it <laughs> because uh, otherwise you get, otherwise you're going to find out anyway and they're probably going to go, they're going to f- try and pick holes in it. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's now tougher than ever in South Africa. I mean, uh, with this whole BLM thing that's come mm. around and I've, I have respect for it. Um, mm. But there's a lot of past players standing up now um, telling their stories uh, as victims and, that's really difficult for me as captain to listen to and to take, mm. um, knowing that the culture that we had and mm. how, how close we were as friends. So that, that's that's a tough part um, of, of looking back at everything now and um, hearing stories that guys weren't happy in the side. And I, I never mm. picked up on it. I'm the captain. I should have known. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that's the tough part. Um, I always felt we had a fantastic culture and we were all moving in the in the same direction. And uh, we, we all, all we wanted to do is win games of cricket. Apparently not, but um, it's one of those things. <laughs> it's not until I started, I played with Graham Smith at uh, the Rotterstone Royals where I fi- really started to understand just the, the complexity of different societies. And you know, in, in Australia, for example, it is, um, which is, it doesn't have the same complexities to what you know, South Africa and the history, the long history that South Africa has. And one thing that people do have to realize um, is that as being a leader of a, of a team where society is more complicated than, than um, is more complicated, it does provide different challenges. And there are different things that pop up that are out of your control. And it does make it more, more difficult to be able to you know, work through that. But the thing that I've always found fascinating and really commended the South African cricket team, whether it's you or um, Graham Smith when you guys were captaining, was your ability to be able to just pull everyone together to get everyone going in the right direction, in the same direction, no matter what was going on around, around um, you know, with the complexities that could be around the team. I found that absolutely fascinating how, you know, in Australia at times you sort of complain about, oh, there's a bit of politics or there's some stuff that's going on in and around the team and whatever. 
but it's it's nothing compared to what some other people in other parts of the world um, have to deal with to be able to then pull everyone together to make sure everyone's aligned and we're doing the best we possibly can to win games for our country. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Graham, Graham started that. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but we, we had three to four really good meetings every year, culture camps, what they call it. Mm-hmm. We, we decided that we were going to be the example for the country. You know, we're going to represent out there what we want South Africa to be like. Um, never forgetting what happened in the past because we got a terrible past and what happened was completely wrong and disgraceful. And so we, we never wanted to ignore that. We just wanted to show that we've come a long way and this is, this is who we are as a country. Um, so we've taken up that responsibility. I, I always felt we did a fantastic job at that. Um, Certainly throughout my career, we've always picked the best teams. Um, I mean, there's no more cases of we got to push guys into certain places. So we, guys are, there, are they on merit? And that's, that's a beautiful thing of how far we've come as a country. And what I answered in the previous question, that's what makes it so difficult because I, I, I'm hearing stories that, that, that are, that's making my comment just now a lie. And it's, and it's not. Um, mm-hmm. We had a fantastic setup. There's no doubt about it. And it's still that way. I know it for a fact that the, the minute you walk into the Proteus setup, um, you all buy into a vision. Um, you buy into the responsibility of showing the country how various cultures can work together. And no matter what happened in the past, we can work together in the same direction. And that's something we achieved. And it's uh, a lot of credit's got to go to Graham for, for the success we achieved as a team. Because if we didn't have those kind of camps, it would have been really tough to to go through the silence and, and to win games together. But, um, I mean, guys had the opportunity to open up, to voice their opi- opinions of what happened in the past, what needs to happen in the future, etc. cetera. Um, so that's the beautiful thing of, of those camps. And uh, as I said, congrats to Graham for, for starting that. Um, yeah. It's difficult to listen to the criticism though these days. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Exactly. Now, Graham Smith is certainly one of the most impressive people and impressive leaders that I've ever been around. Um, you know, the way he cares about people and way he just knows how to pull people together, um, groups of people together is fascinating, is a phenomenal skill that he's, that he's got. You should send him a text maybe. He's taking a lot of heat back on. <laughs> is he really? Uh, okay, he's, he's director of cricket, uh, of cricket South Africa at the moment. Oh, right. And a lot of these attacks are aimed towards him uh, of the way he handled everything back in the day. And it's, it's, it's difficult to listen to because it's, it's all untrue. But, I mean, there's some of his teammates standing up um, really having a full go at him. And it's so unfair. Gosh, yeah. okay, that so, is unfair. Yep, he was... Uh, he's a fantastic, fantastic leader. Yep, for sure. This is now going to get into other aspects of life away from cricket. And I believe this is one of the most important life skills that most of us don't get much education on throughout our lives, but managing and investing your money, the money that you have in whatever capacity that is, as well as you possibly can, is so integral to making the most of what you've got. So looking back from where you are now with what you've earned throughout your, your life and your career, would you have done things differently from an investment um, and wealth generation perspective like um, shares or commercial residential property or something or anything like that um I, I would say the most important thing is to to have someone in your team that you trust um that's that happened for me and i, I mentioned his name before ed griffiths uh, mm. that i met in 2008 um not not only from a cricket, cricketing perspective that he changed a lot in my life but literally everything else he's taken over um so i met him on a plane he sat next to me and as you would think, I, I had a lot of doubts with this weirdo sitting next to me <laughs> asking all kinds of questions. Um, yeah. I, I literally gave him the bat for about a year. Um, he, he literally called me 
twice a month saying, listen, I know you're at this agent agency. I don't want to sign you up. Um, I literally just want to help you reach your full potential and look after you. Um, so I battled him for a year. Long story short, um, he's never taken a cent off me and he's literally run everything in my life for the last 12 years. Wow. Where do you, where do you find someone like that? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. From finances to tax, cricketing things, um, legal stuff, you name it. I mean, I won't say he's not an investment banker, but he got me the whole team. Um, so I, I have four meetings a year with a team of eight guys from a lawyer to bankers, to investment, um, advisors, uh, Whatever I'm doing business with at the time, or if I want to propose something, he's got to come propose to the team. Um, so he's he's set it all up for me. Uh, he handles all contracts, literally everything. And um, yeah, so I, was, I guess I was quite lucky. I, I wouldn't do anything differently except for um, it's always difficult to do business with family members and close friends. I, I might have stumbled a couple of times with that. Um, but then again, if I had to do it all over again, I would have. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm talking about people that are part of my life. I was never going to turn my back on that. Um, the problem is it puts your relationships under pressure. If anything goes wrong in the business, it becomes personal, um, mm. which it shouldn't be. I think business should be business and relationships should be relationships. And uh, once you start mixing that up, it becomes a dangerous game. So I, I wouldn't. Start, I still wouldn't do it differently, but it's. I've got a great blessing in having – a team of people that's really helped me make every decision financially uh, in my life. Yeah. So, and, and with that, the, like the key there is to be able to source someone that you really trust and they can be very hard to find because you feel like they got the, your best interest at heart. And then before you know it, you realize they don't and they're very opportunistic the way they've <laughs> used your funds, for example. So yeah. to be able to really find that, that person is so important. And like for me personally, it's not until the last couple of years where I've actually really slayed all the dragons to get to the prince or princess in regards to (laughs) like all the things are not to do from an investment point of view, even not invest because I wasn't educated enough. I didn't know anything about it. Like I was too focused on just being the best cricketer I could be really. Um, So it's really understanding what the people, the skills that you're looking for in that one person or a couple of people. And then once you find them, it's making sure that you really, that you stick by them because you know that they've only got your best interest at heart because yes, there are a lot for professional athletes. There's a lot of people who are out there, opportunity, opportunistic people who are there to try and just take as much as they can without you knowing, cause you're not educated enough around it. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's, it's still, it's still business and it's, it's a volatile world out there i mean it, it never guarantees that's that it's going to do well all the time you got to be patient with the person that you trust and with the with the systems that you're following um i mean I, it's it's also obviously i mean i'm talking now riffraff but it's, it's important to diversify not all have all your eggs in one basket yeah so these are the kind of basics i've learned over time um to, to, to really get someone you trust to diversify your portfolio and to be patient um so uh it's it's a it's a weird world out there i don't understand uh, any bit of it, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's nice to have a team that uh, that can allow me to just go out and play my cricket. And um, I have a few other things that I'm interested on the side with regards to mm. property and um, a golf cart business, which is quite interesting. A golf say say that again. A golf what? <laughs> a golf cart business. Um, right. You know the carts that drive on the course. Yeah. So of course. We, I've got involved with a team that that are manufacturing them in South Africa. It's the first cart to be manufactured in South Africa. So I'm involved with that. 
Um, it hasn't taken off yet, but once again, it's a, it's a game that we're going to be patient in. It's, it's similar to the easy go club cars, all the different cars out there. It's a lot cheaper and um, got a, quite a few extra features on the card. So I'm very excited about it. It's something that I, I feel passionate about. I love golf. I love to be involved with the sporting kind of it, um, side of it, but also then to learn um, from a business perspective how everything is run. And it's a startup. I mean, it's a, we've got a factory going, there are people working on the floor. It's one hell of a story, but it's great to see the whole process and to learn. That's fascinating. Um, okay, a few questions around that because <laughs> I'm, I'm in a you know, startup phase. I find startups um, business very absolutely fascinating. So you've got a huge competitive advantage there. You've got a cheaper, a great price point and the features are um, more features than what's already on a golf cart. Mainly it's just sort of go forward, back, forward, back and brake <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, and steer and um, – Okay. So, and what, what aspect, like how deep have you gone into the business as in from understanding all the different sort of supply aspects, where is this going to, or is it more sort of you just being across and understanding exactly which directions are going, what marketing, what, what areas of the market they're targeting for targeting, for example? Yeah. So I'm a shareholder. I'm not a, I'm not a blind um, investor, but uh, mm. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to run the whole business myself, but I, mm. I've got shares with my father-in-law, three other people. Um, we, I'm, I'm part of the board meetings. We literally discuss everything from financials, uh, imports, the works, um, and where we're going with the business. I'm obviously, every guy will have his role on the table. I mean, everyone can guess I'm, I'm more to do with marketing and the marketing mm-hmm. side of it yeah. and getting the cards out there, connections. Um, I've had the privilege to have met quite a few important golfers, the Louis Westers and, I mean, any else, guys like that. <laughs> Um, we've been very helpful so far um, in just sort of getting to know the product. They give us a lot of feedback on what they think of it, uh, the comfortability, the practicality of it. Um, but we, we definitely have an edge on quite a few areas. We, we're the first locally manuf- uh, produce, uh, first car to manufacture locally. Um, so the other guys bring everything in from the States or from China, which obviously deals with dollars. We, 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 we operate in South African rands, which makes it a lot cheaper or better priced, as you mentioned. Um, and then features-wise, we have a solar panel on the roof, which automatically charges the battery while you play. Um, wow. And quite a few other features. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really fancy cart that's you, um, it's perfect for someone who lives on an estate. So it's revolutionary in a way, and it's fantastic to be part of something that's new and different mm. and also local. It's South African, which is fantastic. It's an hour's drive from my house. I go to the factory quite often to see how the guys are doing on the floor and, just to see a different side of, of business, um, it, it's really a great privilege and it's great to be part of it. There's also the pressure side of it. Um, I mean, you've got to make money. you gotta, you got to make it work. Otherwise, you throw everything down the river. Um, mm. So, I, I mean, there's pressure on that side and I, I try and keep busy as much as I can. Hook us up with um, commercials back home. We've got this uh, relationship with Puma that are getting a commercial out on telly for us, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, the, the, the ball is slowly but surely starting to roll and um, it's it's a fantastic thing to be a part of. It's great. What an amazing learning experience as well to be heavily involved in all those aspects of and understand all those aspects of the of the business. Um, it, will it be available for export in time as well, or predominantly just being sold in the South African market? There's a huge market out there, specifically um, overseas. I've touched mm-hmm. base with people in Dubai already. Um, I know in the states, I have Ernie else living there in Florida. There, there are lots of connections all over the world, but. We're a small factory still, and uh, we've decided together we want to crack the South African market first, and I think that'll be our greatest test to 
really get it out there. there there's enough influential people that we know that um, could help us get it and to grow bigger. Um, but by that time, we'll need a bigger factory, um, uh, a whole other system than what we have now. For now, we're just trying to crack the market at home, get involved with some golf courses, some um, estates, uh, golf estates. And um, this, uh, as I said, the conditions are there abroad. I mean, in India, there's a lot of golf courses, Dubai, um, Australia, New Zealand, and, and specifically the States, a huge um, golfing destination. There, there are lots of opportunity, knowing that we're better priced than the rest, and we, we offer some other features. We allow golf carts um, to do comfortably 36 holes a day, where back in the day it would have been a question mark. Um, so th- th- there's a lot of things that we can go out there and, and, and impress the guys with. Super cool. What's, uh, what's the name of the business? It's called Moby G. So this guy... Yeah, the, the starter of the whole thing uh, built uh, caravans first, these um, off-road caravans, um, luxury caravans, uh, and that's called Moby Lodge. So we in the factory right next to them. Um, he designed the cart, so he's, he wanted that Moby thing in there still. So Moby mm-hmm. G, obviously, for Moby Golf. And, um, yes, I, I was part of uh, some of the designs, which was quite cool to be part of. And we'll see where it goes from here. <laughs> it's super cool, AB. Good for you, mate. Yeah, <laughs> One thing that I've realized um, is that life is all about how well you bounce back from the setbacks that life always throws at you. So do you have a mantra or a say in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenge that life always throws your way? Yeah, that's something that's in- inevitable. You, you always, as, as I said before, same with my cricket, and there's a lot of things that happen in cricket that you can compare to your life. Um, nothing ever stays the same, and you always got to expect the unexpected. Um, uh, I mean, anything can happen at any time. Uh, I, I, I've been thinking quite about a lot of deep things lately. I mean, my parents are getting older. There's a lot of things changing. My, my kids are running around. Um, you think of safety while you're away from home. Are, are, are everyone safe back home? I mean, driving and all sorts of things go through your mind now that you now we get older. Um, so it's fantastic. But I, I've always had this um, ability to stay in the moment. And not only in cricket, I try and apply it in, in life as well. And I... I try and do it consistently that um, I, I feel that's really a, a big connection to, to happiness and success is if you can stay in what you're doing now and, and the moment, um, not to look too far ahead of yourself and also not dwell on the past. Um, I would say that's one of the keys to, to happiness and to a successful life. Yeah, absolutely right. Being, being present and staying, staying right in the moment, even something as simple as like when you as a parent, as a parent, when you're playing with your kids is actually just being exactly in that moment with your, with your kids, when you're playing with them, instead of sort of just thinking about what's happening in the future or what's happened in the past, it's actually really staying present. And that's an amazing skill. It's, there's no secrets why you've had so, so much success as well, AB, because that is the way that you don't um, dwell on the past or worry about the future. I, I won't say I always get it right, but I, it's something that I've, that I always think of and more often than not I do, but um, I know it's a it's a big contributor to to happiness and success. So I've, I always try and push myself to stay in the moment and not to let my, my mind drift too much. Yeah, it's the ultimate thing to chase for sure. Um, you've met and been around some of the most successful people in the world. Is there one person who has inspired you the most, and and why? Um, people that I know, or people that I've seen on telly or uh, or docu yeah. documentaries. Anyone. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I'm going to touch on someone that I mentioned earlier, Ernie Els, uh, South African golfer. 
I don't think I have to, to tell you guys too much about who he is. Um, he's achieved quite a bit in his career. And at the peak of his career, um, he had a son called Ben, and he was an autistic boy. And um, I mean, I, I, I haven't met him at, I, I still at that time, I, didn't, I haven't met him. Um, I only met him recently, but I'm just trying to paint a picture of, I mean, this high flyer with his private jet, um, having won majors around the world, uh, very successful life. He's very connected with everyone in the world and he gets a newborn and it's an autistic boy. And it's, I, I don't know all the, the wording and description of it, but it's it's the, the worst level you can get. I mean, it's, it's uh, I don't know what the word is for that. It's um, life changing. So, yeah, geez. I mean, to get that challenge in life and then I met him, knowing everything about him and the person that I met that day and that I know to till this day is just, I mean, it's incredible how he and his wife, even his wife, dealt with that, and now he's still this gentle giant, um, this very um, hum- humble and giving person, always got time for everyone, with all the challenges that he's faced, and um, not only in sport, but with his personal life as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, I absolutely look up to him big time. I mean, he's, he's a larger-than-life character, and I, I was very lucky to have met him. Yeah, no, that is that is inspiration. You can't imagine you can't imagine that as a parent, um, as you said, especially from the heights that he was scaling at that moment in time to then you know take it in his stride and continue to do what he what does is yeah, it's phenomenal. This is a final question, AB, and I am truly so grateful for you taking all this time to be able to um, you know talk to me. So um, look, I absolutely love reading and learning as much as I possibly can. So. Um, can you give me a couple of your best books that you've read and have had the most impact on you? Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I love reading. I absolutely love reading. I don't, I don't read every day. There's no doubt about that. Um, back in the day, I used to go through the whole Jeffrey Archer collection. Um, fantastic books. Uh, it's all based on these crime thrillers and he, he's an amazing writer. And I had the privilege to, to have met him in, in England while I was playing. Um, he, he really does his research and all his books are incredibly insightful. I mean, it gives you a rundown about everything. Uh, so I would highly recommend uh, the Jeffrey Archer collection from Cain and Abel to pretty much anything. It's, it's a good read. Um, at the moment, I have a Malcolm Gladwell book in my, in my room. I'm going to read it at some stage. It's called Blink. I haven't read that one before. Brilliant. Yeah, Blink is brilliant. Yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating insights. Yeah. And then... Um, more on the religious side of things, there's a book mm-hmm. called The Shack, and there was also a movie out um, not not long ago. Uh, it's one of my favorites. It, it really just um, touches base with, first of all, a, 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 it's a story about a father who loses his little daughter with a murder case and all of that. Long story short, it becomes very religious for him, and mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's very angry. Now he deals with it. I just I just find that book incredibly intriguing, and there are some incredible basics of life um, mm. in the middle of this whole book, and with this wild, amazing story around it. So, I'd, I'd say the shack, and um, I mean, I'm leaving out about twenty books now that's that have really touched my life, and that I can't get to the name of yeah. <laughs> or the author. But that's a quick rundown of the books mm. that I have read that have really had an impact on me. Ab, this has been. An absolute honour to have had you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. You are the cricketer who everyone dreams of becoming and now we are all have been so fortunate to hear the insights into what has made you one of the modern greats of world cricket. AB, I can't thank you enough for giving me the time to share all of these amazing insights with us and we are all that much richer for digging deeper into the mind of one of the true greats of world cricket. Thank you, mate. 
Uh, what well, uh, thanks thanks so much for the kind words and it's an absolute privilege to have spoken to you on your show and I hope the listeners and whoever it reaches will will enjoy the chat as well. I mean it's it's fantastic that um, two rivals back in the day get to <laughs> sit down and just talk about life and cricket yeah. and everything. It's 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 wonderful. So thank you. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.